Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company with us as we continue our exploration of a series that we started a little while ago and we titled that A Holiness Movement, A Holiness Movement. And we mentioned uh, throughout uh, this uh, particular series uh, that the case of holiness, the case of holiness is dependent on uh, three primary things. Uh, if you're going to pursue a holy life, you need to find biblical foundations that will un under, uh, help you understand the why we pursue holiness as followers of Jesus. You need to be made aware of some of the warnings uh, that cause uh, some of us to falter and not pursue holiness in our walk with Christ or uh, after we uh, make a decision to follow Christ. And then we're going to look at some factors that enable us to live that holy life. Uh, to recap briefly, we looked at the foundations, the why, uh, over nine uh, different sessions. We looked at the why we want to pursue a holy life because holy life ultimately is all that God intended His people to be. From creation, as we said, from Genesis to Revelation, God created us to adopt, to embrace our, our identity in Him as His children who have our family resemblance to our Heavenly Father and then to express His nature in our daily conduct. And we went through all of that. Today, I want to simply focus on an introduction to the second mini-series, if you like, where we're going to take uh, several sessions to talk about the warnings in the scripture and the failures of God's people at time to pursue holiness uh, and how we can uh, amend uh, that failure. Because I believe just like people enter into marriages, uh, committing wholeheartedly to, for better or worse, to be fully devoted to their partner, to their spouse. Uh, people enter the uh, Christian uh, life with uh, wholehearted devotion to continue all the way until the end. Uh, but inevitably, as many people as you know, who have been transformed by the power of encountering Jesus, whose life were totally changed from, uh, from a, a relational perspective, from an emotional perspective, from a spiritual perspective. They manage their finances differently. They manage their time differently. They inter interacted with people with different mannerism. All of that we celebrate in the many people we know whose lives have been changed as a result of an encounter with the Spirit of God. But Many of us have got our own heartbreaking experiences where people who began so enthusiastically with Jesus moved on from their walk, stalled maybe, backslid maybe, or even some deserted the faith. And we wonder is like, 
How could that even happen? Like, were they even Christians? And, and we begin to debate some theological doctrines about, uh, you know, how could that make sense? One saved or was saved or is it or isn't it? What does the scripture say about it? And we take some bits and pieces or, and passages from the scripture to support whatever opinion that we have on the spectrum of that debate. But I am aware of the reality of how some of us can begin so enthusiastically with Jesus, but during our walk we can falter. I recall before migrating to Australia uh, there in 1989, I simply uh, was a 15 or so years old who encountered a group of people in Cairo in our traditional church who were genuinely transformed. I can't remember if that was going on for a year or so, uh, but it attracted my attention that the life that they began to exhibit was so different from the life they had prior to their experiences or whatever they did. And it mostly aligned to the type of Christian life and portrayed the character that my dad was talking about of those who truly accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And these guys were older youth. They were probably uh, young adults in, in our church. And they were the funny, cool group. And uh, their transformation genuinely challenged me as a young teenager. And I decided to say, okay, I don't know what happened to them. But I know from my upbringing what dad has been teaching me and I didn't care about that I can accept Jesus. I can begin a life that resembles the type of characteristics that, that, that Jesus lived out and these people are portraying. And indeed, I made a decision back in Cairo to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I began to read, I began to engage in prayer and reading of the scripture and church activities and the like. And, and my parents were, were gobsmacked with the transformation that occurred in my life. We came to Australia, migrated to Australia, and, uh, and I still got engaged with a, a small group of people who followed Jesus as a result of dad's ministry. I, I was engaged in, in, in little Bible studies and prayer and even lots of different activities to the youth and, and newsletters and magazines and so forth. But over a, a short period of time, several months, I began to falter, to fall away. I found another distraction in the land of milk and honey. And I moved away from my convictions. I moved away from the way I really embraced uh, the, 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 the walk of Jesus as it's written and explore, uh, explained in the scriptures. And that may have lasted one or two years. I can't fully remember one of my suppressed memory. Um, and, and the reality is uh, this, this occasion um, um, was probably 30 years ago or so. And I still shiver. I get shivers down my spine every time I think of how far I walked away. And even though I had embraced the faith of Jesus, I didn't behave like someone who did that. I was removed emotionally, mentally and spiritually from the type of life that I knew deep within me I adopted. And I don't know about you, but 
maybe the, the way of the Christians, uh, as, as it's expressed in the New Testament, their conversations, their convictions, their conduct, is maybe you embraced one upon a time, but you no longer embrace today. Maybe you have what they call backslidden, where you no longer have the energy and the passion and the excitement that you used to have around God's word and God's people and God's will and God's purposes. Or maybe you know someone that, 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 that you love and you care about. Maybe you even brought them to know Jesus and they were sure that they're going to go to heaven because you've assured them with scriptures. But they maybe have left the faith altogether and, and, and it's confusing. How did that all happen? Like... What actually went wrong? We, we never anticipated that. We never expected that somebody will start with Christ and not you know, continue uh, as sustainably, as passionately and, 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 and maybe even walk away from the faith. That doesn't make any sense. The reason why we fail to walk the holy walk, to be Christ-like people, uh, is probably because we fail to uh, concentrate address and respond to some biblical warnings about that, that, that relate to that. Look at what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower uh, is written uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Gospels and, and it shows that Jesus uh, speaks of the throwing, a farmer throwing seeds, uh, sowing seeds everywhere and the grounds uh, that receive the seed responded differently and Jesus uh, you know expressed that some of 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 those grounds were like uh, you know a, a road they it didn't really take root and 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 um, you know the birds came and took away the seed right away other other uh, seed went into an area that was um, you know uh, uh, troubled by thorns and other things and he began to express that there is one type of ground that was fruitful that produced 30 60 and and a hundredfold of the crop and 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 then the disciples said this is a really awesome uh, sort of illustration but we don't understand it can you please express what it means to us so they asked Jesus and in Matthew 13 Jesus responds to them he says listen then to what the parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So here the ground, we understand that the ground represents the heart of the person who is listening. And, uh, and, and when a person doesn't understand the message of, of Jesus, the message of the kingdom, the evil one comes and snatches that seed away. This is the seed sown along the path, so along the ground. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. What is the point I want to make? I want to make that Jesus gave us a clear warning that some people may receive the message with joy. They respond enthusiastically, but because they have not allowed the roots to dig in, 
They have received, but they have not walked, you know, rooted and grounded in the love of God. They quickly fall away when trials and and maybe even temptations of life come their way. So we've been warned to not just worry about the germination of the seed, but really the fruitfulness of the seed, the progression of the seed, right? So here is a simple example that I want to show you from the very life of Paul and his co-workers that heightens to us the seriousness of Jesus' warning that it's not just about the start, it's about continuing by the power of the Spirit to live the life that has been planted into us by the seed of Jesus. Uh, We read of a guy who was a co-worker with Paul. You know, Paul the Apostle was probably the greatest missionary that we know in, uh, in all of history, but particularly in the New Testament. Uh, um, Dr. Luke writes of the three missionary trips of, of the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the church and was transformed by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that completely transformed his life. And he reached out to all uh, the, the cities around and, and, and different territories and different Gentile uh, pagan neighborhoods until he really created a significant revival. We, we particularly hear of, the, of the, air, the, the, the city of Ephesus and how through th- uh, three years stay in Ephesus, he actually transformed the surrounding cities. He had selected really hand-picked type of workers to be with him. Uh, And one of those people that Paul had selected, his name is Demas. Demas. And uh, Demas was a fellow worker of Paul to the extent that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul writes, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sent greetings. That means he was uh, with the close uh, inner group of Paul, like Luke, uh, who, who was giving greetings to other Christians in other areas, such as in the city of Colossae, right? Again, he, he's mentioned three times. The second time, he, it's written of him, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Paul is saying that Demas is his fellow worker. Uh, Just pause for a second. Paul didn't accept anyone to be on his team. He didn't, it wasn't charity. If you're breathing, it's like we do that sometimes in our Christian environments. If you're breathing, you're allowed to serve in whatever capacity. It doesn't matter what you're doing other times outside the church, um, you know, gathering uh, formal times. But as long as you've got a pulse and you're willing to help out, oh, by all means, our, our hearts are open. But Paul didn't do it this way. He's throughout the New Testament, he was described to Timothy and Titus, the group of people that they need to select. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says that what you heard from me, deliver that to others or teach that to others who are faithful and capable to teach others also. 
And we read in the book of Acts chapter 15 that Paul did refuse to have a guy called John Mark to accompany him and Barnabas in the next missionary trip. Uh, John Mark had departed. He probably was a relative of Barnabas, a young person, and he had departed from the first missionary for one reason or another. And Paul realized he's not reliable. He's not devoted to the mission. He's going to uh, undermine our endeavors. We're going to have you know, to deal with his sucking or whatever it was that made him return the first time. I have no reason to take this guy with us again. And it created such, such an argument, a, a, hard, a, a heavy uh, disagreement between uh, Barnabas and Paul that they actually disintegrated that team. They departed from one another. It was serious. Paul, you know, if he wasn't serious about the people that he worked with, he would say, you know what? Barnabas, if you insist, you know, so what, man? We've got a lot of these guys anyway on our team and it doesn't really matter. We take anybody who's willing, right? No, no, no. Paul reveals that he took capable and reliable and people that you can depend on and Demas was one of his travel companions, somebody well selected. And then the third mention of Demas is heartbreaking. Is heartbreaking. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and that's towards the end of Paul's life, where he said, you know, he has fought the good fight and finished the race and, and kept the faith, and finally, you know, the crown will, will be put, um, you know, awarded to him in the appearing of Jesus. So towards the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, asking him to come and, and support him in potentially another imprisonment under Nero close to the end of his life. In a, in a, you know, he was treated like a criminal chained uh, in a, a cold dungeon. And, and he says to, to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly for the mass because he loved this world, in other translations, says, because he loved this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Does that not break your heart? Because I believe it broke Paul's heart. He loved the present world. He said to me, Peter, maybe he just had a business venture to do and he went to, to, to Salonika and he just, you know, he returned back later on and he was all right. Maybe, I don't know. The, the scripture is silent about that, but there is a couple of scriptures that make me wonder what is the condition of Demas' heart who started so brightly on the greatest team that of missionaries that we uh, know of their record in the scripture. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 and ponder the condition of Demas's heart. It says, Do not love the word, the world, nor the things in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. That's frightening. Could it be saying that because Demas loved the present world, that the love of the Father dissipated from his heart? Throughout the scripture, we are told that 
that, that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God. You look at it even in the book of James and chapter 4, it tells us that this particular way of loving the world is an indication of something that is not very helpful in the life of believers. And you will notice in James chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's pretty intense language, don't you agree? It's very intense that, uh, that, that, that now that the one person that partnered with Paul and greeted other Christians and was selected, you know, uh, handpicked by Paul for his caliber, for his character, for his competence. And now he may have lost the love of God and maybe, just maybe, he made himself an enemy of God. We don't know. We pray and hope that he returned, but when it says that he loved the present world, it alludes to the idea about his heart condition and his relationship with God. Granted, no one ever would have imagined that Demas will be part of the other side. And no one ever imagines that someone that will come to be with Jesus and all of a sudden allows the attractions of the world, allows the temptations of the world, allows the trials of the world to take their hearts away. But it's much like a marriage that starts really enthusiastically with wholehearted devotion. You see the bride and groom with twinkles in their eyes. They are mesmerized by this new relationship and they pledge their allegiance to one another. Say, you know, regardless what happens, whether it's uh, poverty or whether it's sickness or whether it's hardship, I'll stand by you. I will never leave you. I will stick until death do us part. And that's what believers do when they come to know Jesus. Was Demas um, uh, already like some people say, well, he must have walked out of us because he wasn't one of us. I think that's written in 1 John chapter 2 that some people who were part of the church and left the faith, John says that the, by the reason why they left or the evidence that they uh, left suggests that they weren't even part of us at all. So Demas, was he part of us? Was he truly saved? I don't know. I don't know. The one thing I could tell you is that Paul recognized him as a leader, as a discipler, as a fellow worker. He calls him fellow worker. So whether he had uh, made a decision or he hadn't made a decision to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, I can't really tell you. But his lifestyle, his external behavior, maybe his 
prayer, maybe his devotion, maybe his reading of the scriptures, maybe his teaching and evangelizing to other uh, neighboring communities, that may have convinced Paul that he is truly a man of God, regardless whether he was, uh, you know, whatever your persuasion is, whatever your doctrinal convictions are, the reality is someone that looked like a follower of Jesus allowed the love of the world to take away his love or pretend love, if you like, of God. My friends, we need to be warned. We need to be warned that it's not about the start, but it's about the journey. You know, we have created environments. We have created Christian environments and Christian literature and Christian training all uh, oriented towards the commencement of the journey. It's, it's all about giving birth to a spiritual infant. But who in their right mind will give birth to a, to a spiritual infant and, leaving, and leave them by the side of the road? It's the journey that makes the difference. It's the seed that eventually becomes a stalk and a flower and a fruit that shows the reality of the life on the inside. Because the seed cannot be seen on the outside when it is first sown, but we can see the result of its true life when it's exhibiting on the outside the characteristics of the seed on the inside, right? And if we're going to be warned, if we're going to pursue a life of godliness, if we're going to walk a holy life, if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, if we're going to be what God intends us to be, here is what we need to do is to take warning. Because our failure, I, I, I say it this way, believers fail to pursue holiness because they fail to take seriously biblical warnings. If a co-worker of Paul could love the present world, we do well to be on guard because the enemy wants to create an environment where you get attracted by the, the current lifestyle around us, the culture around us, the, the, the world uh, temptations. We, 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 he wants to give us false doctrines that would give, uh, will make us guilt-free in the way we walk, not according to Christ-like pattern. So the failures of holiness we will address over the next seven sessions. The first one, we're going to address the idea of the beginning of, of a spiritual life where we focus on response and not repentance. We're going to focus on the evidence that shows somebody to be genuine believer, not a fake believer. We're going to turn our attention to a controversial topic that has many people live a life of, of, of impurity 
purity and blame it on grace. We're going to look at the balance of grace and law. We're going to look at the, 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 the worldview of worldliness, worldliness versus alertness. We're going to look at the difference between positional versus practical sanctification. We're going to look at the idea of, of drinking from the wells, which are like the big gatherings, compared to being watered by the streams, which is discipleship. We're going to look at the difference of and the balance of faith versus works. We hope as we go through these sessions that you will be provoked to take care, be on your guard, to not fail to adhere to the warnings of the scripture that we don't want to start well and finish badly. That is our genuine prayer for you, that you live wholeheartedly, holy, like Jesus lived on earth by the power of the Spirit and the grace of God, because God is holy and He designed for you and I to live a holy life. Until we catch up and start this series next time, be utterly blessed. 